0: In a constantly changing world, today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico.
1: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. And actually, I'm really excited about this one because I've got my buddy with me now, Spencer Holt, who's all the way in Philly, and the blasting pandemic is keeping us apart. But Spencer has an amazing background, which I'll get him to tell you all himself. Uh, But he's currently the head of the Commercial Learning Innovation Center for AstraZeneca. Is there a vaccine on the way? No pressure. But that is not the subject of today's podcast. We are going to talk about all kinds of stuff because we're good buddies. We've worked together. We're going to riff. And we're going to see where this ends up. But Spencer, how are you?
2: I'm great. What an introduction. I mean, the, the animation, the change of voice. I'm excited now just to be here and where this is going to go. Well, just before we actually were recording, we were kind of sat here as... Uh,
1: in some ways, extroverts and seeking each other's counsel and help as we're into God knows how many months of lockdown. And I'm like a cat on a hot tin roof now.
2: So there we go. Bit of therapy. Well, listen, it's so true. And I I mentioned to you, we we took matters into our own hands. You know, we're like, hey, I'm to your point, I'm an extrovert by nature. And you can imagine. So well, my family is as well. So we just came back from a three week West Coast tour. And It was magical, but therapeutic, you know, just changing the environment of not being in my house was just amazing. And we were actually glad to come back because it had been a proper three weeks like excursion. I worked from, you know, wherever I was at in terms of we kind of traveled around, but uh, there's something to be said about changing your environment. Well,
1: you've changed your environment a few times because whilst you're working at the wonderful AstraZeneca and it's definitely been my privilege to to work with you and that organization. You haven't
2: always been AstraZeneca, so tell us a little yeah, bit more. Well, I have a little bit of a um, like, well, you know, similar to you. I think kind of this, um, you know, opportunistic uh, career journey where you know I graduated and then I started in banking, and I thought that was super cool. And um, not long after my banking stint, I had some people come and. And investors actually and some friends of mine say hey we've just bought this small oil and gas related company would you come and and run it and at 27 years old you hear that and you think absolutely and and i actually believed that i was qualified to do it and you know you're 27 you can do anything right yeah i was like you better believe this is the right choice to have me run this company and you know and, and i was clearly the youngest person and everyone else was you know much older than i was there was only about eight of us but I quickly realized I was not the right person to run this company and and as much as I thought I knew about leadership, uh, i there was still so much for me to learn. so it was a great lesson. We struggled through it and eventually sold it and so we did a few things right. I did more things wrong, I think as an individual leader. but the the great thing about it is I learned that I needed to do something I, I wanted to discover more and learn more and so from that, we went and did some I, I went to school and did my master's and and then i Became uh, you know, then became a sales rep and did a few things there. And then as I started my PhD, and I was a manager at Astrazeneca, some you know, a couple other buddies said, "Hey, let's go open some restaurants in Canada." As you and do again, as I should right, as one does. And so I, I quickly uh, went and opened up two Five Guys Burgers and Fries in Canada, and and again learned some really valuable lessons. Um, a little bit more mature. But, you know, the restaurant industry is not for the faint in heart. And, no, I and, and it. But it was great. And when you bring in venture capitalists at, at a midway through that journey, you also realize that, if you know, sometimes your ideals and values might be different than a venture capitalist's ideas and values. Yep. And so from that, we decided to move on and, and came back to AstraZeneca and have had just an amazing um, opportunity to do a bunch of different things there.
1: So how, so how long have you been now at this uh, powerhouse of a father organization?
2: Yes, uh, s- close to 17 years, which is... You're not it, old enough for that. I, thank you. That's very generous. But, you know, four kids and 23 years of, mar- of oh. marriage, I think, you know, I've been around. I'm, I'm now proper middle-aged and I'm <laughs> not afraid to admit it. Uh, now, tell me a little bit about
1: what being the head of the Commercial Learning Innovation Center is all about. Give a little bit of context
2: for that. Yeah, we, so at AstraZeneca, we, I have the opportunity of, I get to really embrace all the commercial learning inside our business. So when we launch a new product, we, um, we look at, you know, how do we get our sales teams ready to go in terms of disease state knowledge from a sales perspective, the selling model, we also do a lot around innovation and, and what that means in particular in the learning space is how do we help create and have learning be a strategic driver to performance? Okay. And so as we think about what's the end results, right, which is getting um, the right medicines to patients, uh, you know, we think about as the world continues to change at a rapid pace, we can't operate the same way that we needed or that we used to. Like our sales representatives, the way that we launch products, the way we interact with our customers, and the types of solutions that we bring um, to get to the, to, to the patients is rapidly evolving. And, and we play a role in how that starts to look and feel. You know, that's a really good segue
1: because I'm not saying that COVID's changed everything, but COVID's changed everything. And that is that great adage that what got you here may not get you there. And you talked about innovation and these, I'm going to use the word softer skills, but I, I don't think I like it because I think the skills such as imagination, curiosity, resilience, innovation, collaboration, I think they're unbelievably hard. And they seem now to be, weighing higher than the technical skills and you're in a scientific environment. So let's talk about that. I mean, those skills are essential.
2: It is, it is so true. And it's funny, just the, the term soft skills make them sound like ah, maybe they're not that important. I know. And, and I think what you've just eloquently described is now today with technology and data capture where we used to pay people that, you know, a machine does that bit. The, the skills of what you just said, imagination, empathy, curiosity, might I even say like the ability to um, emotional intelligence or work mm-hmm. with others is now more critical than others. And we're finding that individuals that don't have those as, you know, maybe we need to properly call them core skills versus soft skills yeah. are finding themselves not nearly as relevant as A, they used to be, or B, as they want
1: to be. And how are you seeing that in AstraZeneca? Because you are, you're surrounded by scientists, medics, probably engineers, biopharmacists, uh, incredibly intelligent and specialist folk, very akin to yourself. Are you finding, though, that they're now either struggling to grab hold of these core skills, or they're Deliberately building this set of core skills on top of their technical
2: skills. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, organizationally, we are deliberately building them. I mean, that, let's be honest. That's when we first crossed paths, right? Where we set out a few years ago to say, you know, the research was really clear: these core skills of, you know, that ability to, to make sense, which you allude to in your book, but also to build digital dexterity, but then to translate that across, not just your team but across the entire organization yeah those are skills that we recognize we have to equip and it's no longer to be able to equip that with your most senior leaders you have to equip that with every layer in the organization now and so we and and to be fair i think both inside AstraZeneca and outside we we have a good mix of leaders that are embracing and try to build it we also still have individuals that I think are saying I'm waiting for things to get back to normal and you know whatever that might be right whatever that might be well and and what we try to help people understand is that's not happening and in order to stay relevant and in order to I think lead people into this next phase of what new normal is these core skills are absolutely critical
1: new normal, next normal, very odd normal. I I don't know what to call it anymore. I I really don't. You can see I'm slightly fatigued after four or five months of this kind of of crazy lockdown. Um, So we had a lot of fun. You and I had a lot of fun, actually, because we were involved in an amazing leadership program, which is still going within AstraZeneca. But let's go back to what the catalyst was for that, because A, it was a great success. B, it is a great success. C, it's having an impact back in the business. But well, what lit the blue touch paper for it in the first place?
2: You know, I, what's quite interesting, and I, I was just talking to somebody that would, had that had gone through that experience, and, yep. you know, they had said, to date, one of the most transformational learning experiences that I went through. And they will still call out, you know, it was a mixture of, you know, digital learning as well as face-to-face. Yeah, And they said what was so great about that is, you know, we first – under, you know we went through this online experience and got to know each other but when we came face to face we recognized how important it was that what i was doing in my little silo and when i met somebody that was in my organization to- doing something totally different but when we started to peel back the layers we had far more similarities than differences and how we could learn from each other okay and i think one of the you know the almost the sparks was we needed leaders to have an enterprise view of the world, no longer just looking at their own silos. And as we introduced people and got them to collaborate and build some trust, we noticed that the impact was not only when they met face-to-face or during the course, is we started to create conversations three months, four months, five months, post-course, where people started to solve differently because they are asking other people that, they never would have known before for different ways of thinking. So they they started to think different. They would seek out diverse opinions because they had built a network that challenged how they solve problems, and they saw it made them be a better um, a better leader. But also maybe a, they would they would come up with solutions in a much different and robust way than they did before.
1: You see, that's really interesting. So you saw that as a tangible impact or result of the work that really you were leading on. That, that you know it was a pleasure to be involved in but you saw that as a result back in the business that there was this continuity of
2: collaboration innovation network without a doubt and, and and in fact i would say you know and i think this is the tricky part right is you have some individuals that still do it and then we have some individuals that due to demands and pressure and change of environment have you know have slowly gone back to their own I'm going to solve in my bubble, and I think that therein lies this. You know, you know, kind of what we talked about a little bit earlier is I think the people that will succeed moving forward are are going to realize the way that I used to do things is not the right answer. Let me be more diverse in my thinking. Let me go out and seek different opinions. And you know, I I think one of the terms we used to do is you know be uh, an an organizational architecture, like break down walls and rebuild your network so that you solve problems in a much different way. How are people going to do that? If we think about this now
1: going forward, we're just coming through, and let's hope, out of a global pandemic. But then there'll be something else, Spencer. There's always something else uh, for us to have to deal with, and that will never change. So what do people, what do leaders need to do? What do you see within your organization across all continents which is going to stand individuals and collectives in good stead. That's a desperately, t- I can't believe I've even asked that question because that's almost like, you know, can you just solve all the problems of the world in one go, Spencer? So,
2: um,
0: let me, yeah,
2: let me pretend like I have the answer to that. Um, but I, there, there's a couple areas that I see as themes yep. that leaders can get really good at. One is around like this adaptive thinking, like, it's this ability to like recognize new patterns and then apply the, the these patterns in new contexts. Okay. And it, for me, that's a higher level of thinking. And you can't do that in a silo. And and it also requires you to build like just cognitively a new way. Like, you know how we always have our own biases is because the way we process data and the way that it comes into the front lobe, et cetera. And I think those that can embrace that skill of adaptive thinking. And look for patterns, but then solve a new context is critical. Um, So that's one. I think the next one for me is um, this social intelligence. Tell me more. And the reason why I think social intelligence is, is so important, it's this ability to understand interpersonal dynamics and the way that my behavior impacts the individuals or the different functions that I am interacting with. And this, this, this social intelligence piece, because we no longer solve in a bubble, right? I mean, you look at, like, let's take COVID-19, right? Yep. Most major organizations are not trying to solve it alone. They are working with multiple institutions. Well, in order for us to be able to work with, like, Oxford or, you know, Cambridge, is you have to have people that say, this isn't about me anymore. How can I work as a team, and how is my impact? Helping a project A move forward, or am I actually causing it to slow down because I'm I'm the the problem? And I think that ability to like just have that social awareness is so important.
1: You know that actually then probably leads into a little bit of purpose, doesn't it? Because if you think about what you're doing with Oxford and and what other organisations are trying to do, because there is a uh, the race is the wrong word, but there is a collective effort in relation to trying to solve the COVID-19 issue. And even if listeners are listening to this 12 months down the line, and this is a dim and distant memory, something was going on in the world where there was a collective effort beyond revenue. There was a higher purpose. Just, do you see what I'm kind of getting at? Because I know you,
2: you're you passionate about purpose, and I can see that we're linking into that here. Well, and, and I think that's probably one of the um, you know leadership lessons is when you can you know whenever you're whatever you're working on to your point the the problem today could be covid next you know next year it could be something else or it will yep. be something it else it will be and you know i think one of the things that galvanizes teams together is that sense of purpose and can you clearly articulate what the purpose of that um, project is or the ambition of what you're trying to solve for when you have that purpose and that clear vision and then you can work your way back You know, that's what creates, I think, half of the battle of synergy and energy and and clarity around. I can now understand what my role is in that because I clearly understand the purpose of it. So I'm going to use you as a case study, actually, in
1: this episode, because I love. We've talked about adaptive thinking, social intelligence, purpose, and and you and I are great friends. So it's lovely to riff. It really is. But I want to use you as a case study. What has been the biggest challenge? for you during this period as a leader within a huge multinational
2: what's been your biggest challenge you know so i think that's a great question and well thank you if i had to articulate my biggest challenge is i think it's the the ability to i think our purpose is quite clear It's now the ability to solve for that purpose in a little, in a different way. You know, where, you know, where we were meeting and, you know, my team literally went from, you know, we would have, you know, seven to 800 people come into our function every year face-to-face to to everything overnight going virtual. Where we were involved in face-to-face launches, we now had to do them virtually. And I think one of the, so that challenge is saying, look, our ambition has not changed or our purpose, but the ways of um, of solving it need to change. And I think just making sure people a giving them so all of a sudden everyone scrambled to do it, and I and we've done a great job from it. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I've also struggled with is giving them time, space, and capacity to say. What have we learned as we've solved? Because we almost like minimal viable product solve to say, okay, we're there. But now how do we make sure we're doing it the best way possible? And how do we evolve that? And I think that for me has been probably one of the the biggest things. Sorry, and here's my run on sentence for this. All the while, while being a great place to work. So that you don't burn people out. And that you continue to embrace culture. And I think that's what makes this so hard is it can't just be one thing. If you're truly trying to create an environment that people love to be a part of. And I think it's the, all the moving parts that then, A, it's the fun part to be a part of and try to solve, but also creates the complexity.
1: Well, it's got to be fun, hasn't it? I think one of the people I, I spoke to on a podcast had a great phrase that actually said you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you're burning people out, you're kind of history, right? So um, and you're ahead of me slightly because we talked about challenge, but then my next question was going to be, what's been your greatest learning Mm, personal hey, wow. learning in yeah, there. How
2: am I doing, huh? What's funny is, you know, you were on my podcast um, not too long ago. And one of the things that you challenged the listeners to do is, you know, this ability to sense make, but to say, have you guarded your calendar? And yeah. you know, have you created space for, for people to make sense? And I've, I've done that now to say, have we created time to make sense of what we've solved for? So biggest personal learning is making sure that both myself and the individuals on my team or my senior leadership team really take time to say, what have I learned? And it's almost like what you talk about in your book, sense making. Yeah. Have we provided calendar time? Almost like, you know, when you do a project and you take time to kind of say, what did we learn? And what have we, what will we do different? you know, in the middle of COVID, it's almost, been, it's almost been too easy to not do that because of the pace and the burn at which we've been trying to do. And in order for us to stop and make sense, it's not just about the process of what we're doing and what we're learning. It, for me, it's about is the culture that we're creating yep. still the right culture in our team? You know, so if you're leading a large team, one of the things I, I'm totally passionate about is are we creating a great place to work and are people feeling empowered and engaged and do they have energy? And that's been really quite interesting to, to almost balance to say my people are being burnt out or my people are waning. And I'm saying, well, well, let's hang out and let's, let's pause. But yet the deadlines aren't pausing or the, the urgency of what we're trying to do. And that balance has been the personal learn of how do we strike that and how do we really, um, strategically prioritize and say you're just going to have to say no to stuff and that's okay and in what? order for you to gain that back that's a really interesting one because out of all the people i'm talking to
1: you work for an organization who is at the moment racing to solve a world issue but with that pressure you've still got to have some fun
2: and not burn everyone out in the middle of it that's kind of tough right well it, 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 you know it's incredibly difficult because to your point you know you know whether you're solving for a um, you know covid-19 or I, I, there are many organizations that would also have i would probably say they would see what they're delivering of to us is important of course if you want people to have energy and you want people to think creatively and you want them to be adaptable and, and you know imaginative and creative they have to be able to go to sleep feeling good about themselves and not stressed out about when's my next calendar important uh, uh, appointment and so I you know it's about this like and I've said I've told people you have to start saying no and you have to feel good about it so if you can say no to things that are coming on your calendar and explain why and how it relates to I'm not doing this because I'm working on on this or I'm creating space in my calendar as soon as people start to do it they start to feel this sense of like freedom but also control that they did not have before so, what would you say has been your biggest
1: success during this period? And it might well be on a personal. One. I know you've just come back from three weeks with the family,
2: um, and maybe it's on a personal level. So, well, it, you know, it's funny. I was actually, um, I was actually um, on on Saturday. I was on a mountain bike ride in Park City, Utah. Jealous. And and I was with this this um, this really smart guy that that's an executive at this uh, tech company and. We were kind of comparing notes on what we've what we've been trying to do, and it was it was quite funny because one of the things that we said that we both asked our people to do is at the end of COVID nineteen, what is your story? What is your legacy going to be? And was it that you work super long hours and have time everything and kept your job, or did you create memories both inside and outside of work that you would be proud of to tell your kids or have your kids relate? And so. I think one of the things I'm most excited about, or I think that I've learned the most is to say, you know, am am I, have I lived in my own personal purpose and passion and, and values during a time of critical crisis of ensuring that I'm true to my family and, you know, my, my own personal health and that's, and, and then more importantly, have I helped my team do that? And that's kind of been, I think for me, one of the things that I'm excited about that I can say when I, I've loved many, many parts of COVID 19.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people have, haven't they? And it just reminds me that I need to do a mountain bike trick in in Utah, don't I, really? And I have that similar experience.
2: (laughs) I'll tell you what, it was so funny. This guy, he was, I'm, I'm, I rode bike, so I can, I can get by on a mountain bike. But as we were traversing up and then more importantly down this hill, I realized, You know, everyone has a skill set. This guy's was far above mine, but uh, it was incredible therapeutic. So tell us a little bit about your podcast and where people can find that. Ah, so thank you for that. Yeah, much like you probably, as I was thinking about what I could do during COVID-19, I've always thought about how do we continue to give people a platform to share their ideas and thoughts. And so I started this podcast called small things make a big difference. And and it's really um, a leadership insight podcast where I interview different leaders all over the world um, on different topics, but I always end the podcast on asking them what one small thing that you've done in your career makes a really big difference. And it's been I probably, I know, I for sure get more out of it than our listeners because I get a chance to interview so many different leaders. Yes. And I, you know, I just love it. And you, can, and you can have access to it on, you know, any of your, you know, podcast, iTunes, um, Spotify, any of those things, you'll, you'll find it. Gotcha.
1: And that question that you ask everyone, and I know because I was one of the people on, on your podcast, how would you answer that?
2: That's a great ah, question. See what I That's did a there? Great huh? question. Um, and I, you know, thankfully I've had time to think about it, but one of the things that I always try to do, um, in, in my life is so like you, I love people, but more importantly, I think what I like to do is I love to find out why people are amazing. And, and inevitably I have, I do believe that everybody has unique strengths. And if you can tap into them, you can literally find why somebody is amazing at something And when you do that and have genuine interest, you bring out the best in them. And so for me, my one small thing is that when I interact with people, I really try to find out why they're amazing and how I can help them build it. Love it. Well, I think that's a rather wonderful way of
1: finishing this particular podcast by asking you that question that you ask other people. So it's brilliant. Uh, Listen, I I miss you, buddy. So I I could chat to you uh, for ages, but that just wouldn't be fair for a three hour long podcast. And so uh, that's great stuff. The pleasure has been mine. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you very, very soon when this
0: world is, I don't know. We're going to go for a mountain bike ride. Oh, in Utah. I would love that. join us again next week for more essential insights on the leadership enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.